Okay, welcome back to Just FYI Pod. Today is Friday, November the 17th, which is good because we can come to back to Ferris on 41st, which allows, I guess they're open up the beer garden on Fridays now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? I mean, they were yeah. open all week during the day, but then they obviously, from the last time we were here, there was nobody else here. Right. So they had no business. So, but they're open 11 on. Fridays. This now, might so be our great. Friday spot. If we if we record on Fridays, this might be the place. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's another beautiful warm day <laughs> in Alabama. It feels like May. Yeah, uh, though it looks like November actually if you look around. And so um, I've been here all week, but you have been gallivanting around the globe and oh my gosh yeah so yeah. Uh, why don't you say a little bit about yeah your trip to i mean spain. I, I just spent a week in spain barcelona with my friend bethany uh we had a great time hit all the big sites and um it was my first time traveling with a friend instead of family members and it worked out really well okay um, no griping or arguing no we're very yes. both we're okay. both very low maintenance yeah. <laughs> and we figured out a system of how to see the big things together and then go our separate ways and okay for the day and nobody all, got lost nobody well not permanently <laughs> right, obviously i'm right. here um yeah so that was that was good that was a good time and it was hot there right. it was in the upper 70s in yeah. barcelona so that was good and then i'm heading off out west tomorrow just for a couple of days to wish my son a happy birthday who goes to college out there you really love this child <laughs> I, do. I miss him he's the youngest one you this know is how true. that is I do, right? well, I do know how this, right? yeah. okay what about right. you well so that's good no, and, and it's a quick aside and I oh, don't yeah. I really shouldn't even open up this can of worms but I did talk to my Spanish student about oh. the, the, the sort of cultural norm of eating so late and she right. said that it goes back to the time of Franco and really? it had something to do with rations or something like that. I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> that she is said it just became part of Spanish culture, but it's not like something they've been doing for centuries, uh, according to her. Okay. So if I that's wrong, that. it's not my fault. Okay? I believe <laughs> it. We, had, we had no trouble finding food. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, no, I'm good. Yeah, I think I, I told you when I arrived, I sent off my proofs on the novel today. So Which I'm excited is about that. Called Man of Pain. Okay. Right? It's yeah. very, very much rooted mm. in. Uh, sort of suffering servant narratives of the Old Testament, but in a comic register and set in contemporary Alabama. So (laughs) if that sounds interesting, (laughs) you know where to to find it. Yeah, it's, I'm really excited and uh, glad to be, uh, glad to be moving on to the next one. Okay. So, uh, all right. So we are here today. We're getting back to our list of the most spiritually significant films of all time. And we are now at number 16. Yes. Okay. Number 16. And you have chosen what? I have chosen Dead Man Walking, okay. the death penalty film. Yes, right. Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon. Right. Big classic from the 1990s. And I chose Dogville, which is a more avant-garde, I would say. Yeah. Um, but still has a, quite a well-known cast. It's directed by Lars von Trier, the Danish provocateur. We'll talk mm-hmm. more about him in a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, we think these movies... Uh, are both very interesting and provocative and worth exploring. And I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're the kind of movies that make you feel warm and fuzzy, but they shake you up a little bit. It's definitely a change of pace yes. from last week. Right. We can right. say that. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to start with Dead Men Walking. Then we'll take another break. We'll come back and we'll get to uh, Dogville. So uh, with that, we will get back to you shortly. Okay, so Dead Man Walking. Uh, I, I, I mean, I said it was a, a kind of a classic or a big film from the 1990s. That's how I remember it, right? right. I mean, it was a talking point, lots of debates about capital punishment. Um, you know, yeah, I remember sort of yeah, after the, the film going out with some friends and sort of debating, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know what do you think about um, the, the characterization of the death penalty in the film and these sorts right. of things. So, so that's in sort of as I look back on the movie, mm-hmm. that's the first thing that jumps out. So I'm interested to see how you're going to take that and then also apply it to a religious sort of, you know, discussion. Yeah, a spiritual take yeah. on it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that there you can't talk about this movie without talking about capital punishment. Mm-hmm. But I think it's possible to also pull out other spiritual senses that are maybe more applicable to the rest of us, right? So, yeah, so the film was released in 1995. Big award winner, nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. Susan Sarandon won Best mm-hmm. Actress. Um, as we said, Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn and Jack Black 
is in it. A very <laughs> yes. young Jack Black right. plays one of Sean Penn's siblings, plays his brother. Um, it was adapted from a 1993 book by Sister Helen Pujan, who is, of course, the protagonist of the film. And it has gone through, you know, a couple of other adaptations, too. There's been an opera that's written right, about yeah. it, and it that opera actually was the opening, I think, the opening production for the Metropolitan Opera season this year. Um, really? Have you, you haven't seen the opera? Or no, seen no. I it? mean, and yeah. I read some reviews, and the reviews were not great of okay. it. So, I mean, if, you know, I, you can see kind of why it might be a, difficult to adapt. Um, so, as I said, it's based on a book, right? It's based on the 1993 book by Sister Helen Pujan, who was from Louisiana. And it's the story, the book is the story of her kind of evolution mm. on capital punishment, her, her spiritual evolution via her encounters with predominantly two men on death row in Angola, uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary. And, um, and so the movie, what the movie does, it takes the essence of the story, of her story. She is named, you know, the Susan Sarandon character is named Sister Helen Pajan. She works in a um, housing project at the beginning, just like the real Sister Helen did. And, but the Sean Penn character, whose name is Matthew Ponsolet, is a compilation character. Mm, right. um, he, they don't, the, the character and his crimes and his excuses for those crimes are taken from the book, but from both those other cases, which I think is a good decision. I could see this being kind of a different movie and having a different kind of reception, different level of criticism mm. if it were actually taking one of these real guys and dramatizing what they had really done and, probably, and more painful for victims, too. It, you know, to interrupt yeah. real quick, I mean, it occurs to me that this being released prior to like it's the wide dissemination of the internet right you know i don't remember knowing that at the time like i right. assumed this was a real person right and it is one of those things where it's like okay now you can easily sort of go to wikipedia or look at articles or retrospectives right. and there's so much information that now mm -hmm. the artificiality of the story does come out that doesn't really change its importance in some right. ways but i think it does and change our relationship to the film because i remember distinctly thinking yeah. oh this, this, a yeah, this is a real person yeah uh but it's really when Robbins crafted the screenplay, he was, like mm -hmm. you said, he was thinking of, he was making a point outside of just the historical circumstances. Of exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm sure, you know, Sister Helen Prejean was involved in the production. She's actually in it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene of a protest right. outside of penitentiary and she's outside praying. Um, and so, you know, yeah, so she, it's her vision mm -hmm. and her journey, really. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, that's, true that's real so and that's basically what happens is that sister helen who's working in this housing project gets a letter from a guy in angola who would like somebody to write to him and so her response is sure you know somebody wants is in need sure okay and so she gradually she visits him for the first time she learns of his crime which was his involvement along with another guy in the m murders of a young couple who had been in a car in the woods um the murder of both of them and the rape of the girl brutal 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 um and he is on death row the guy who was involved in the crime the other guy got a life sentence and so when she enters his story, he is trying to gather a case for the parole board, for an appeal, all that kind of thing. Been basically abandoned by any lawyers who ever worked for him, worked with him on his case. And so she gets involved on that level. And then when all of the avenues are closed and his execution date is set, he asks her to be his spiritual advisor. Every person on death row who has an execution date has the right to a spiritual advisor for like the last week before their execution and she agrees to it um and so that's you know kind of the last half of the story is their journey together now through the whole thing 
Sean Pan's character, Matthew Ponsolet, has maintained n not his complete innocence, because obviously he was there for the, you know, but that he was he was kind of caught up in this, that right. he was high, he was being bullied by this other guy. And he wasn't the trigger man. He wasn't yeah. the trigger man. He did not rape the girl. Right. Um, and so that's the other part of the journey is her attempt to try to get him to take responsibility mm -hmm. and to admit to the truth. Um, spoiler alert, which he does, right? right? At the very, very last minute. Should we, should we, <laughs> you say spoiler alert. We've never said that before, but the whole, this whole thing is spoilers. It is, <laughs> right. right. That's what we're, we're, we're We don't care about spoilers. <laughs> that's right. I mean, in, in, all, in all fairness, I think there might be a good, this is a sidebar, but there yeah. might be a good reason for that because we're really interested in the, in the themes. Right, and you can't talk about that without right. you can't. talking about the whole movie. Right, and so, you know, it, we think that the plots matter, but we're looking at sort of the bigger picture. So, yes, yeah, spoiler yeah. alert, but in a way, you can't understand the, the, the sort of the religious, film. spiritual themes of the movie without digging into this side of the Right, yeah. exactly. And so, um, he, at the last minute, he admits to her what he has done, and he is executed by lethal injection. Um, in the books, both of those criminals are electrocuted, mm. but it it's, happens by lethal injection here. And so, I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, it's kind of hard to know how to start to talk about the spiritual ramifications of it. Of course, on the most obvious level, um, you have a, a discussion about judgment and mercy and the right of the state to execute, especially in this day and time. And if it's clearly an anti-death penalty work. I mean, his sister Helen Pajan is a anti-capital punishment activist and has been for decades. Um, so you have that question of, that central question is, is there a difference between the state killing somebody and a murderer killing somebody. So that, there's that question. Um, you know, do, does anything really help? Does um, killing a perpetrator of a crime, does it fix anything? Um, and so in the process of getting to, you know, of journeying with Matthew Postolet, Sister Helen is challenged because at one point she's challenged by the victim's family who said say that those are the those are those poignant scenes yeah, in many ways yeah and she and has to go to those families and talk to them about what happened right. and, uh, it's it's uh yeah it's it's deeply moving and it's yeah. moving yeah. i think in part just because of the circumstances but also because we see in her her realization that yeah she has left somebody out of this equation mm -hmm. that she is you know she has seen matthew as the one most in need because he's gonna die and he needs you know, to repent, you know. Um, but, and she's confronted by the parents at this parole hearing of the, of the victims who said, why haven't you come visited us? Right. Why are you spending all your time with him? And she reaches into her purse. She says, I know, I'm sorry. She reaches into her purse and she says, I'll give you my number. So in case you ever need me, you can call me. And one of the dads just looks at her and says, that is so arrogant. Yeah. Right, you know, right. um, you know, you'll reach out to this other guy, but you won't reach out to us, which she then does. And she goes to each of their houses and it's, you know, it's very, very sad and very tragic, mm -hmm. of course, right. but it's, you know, an element in her growth. So the, the subtlety of this movie, and I, I mean, some of parts of it do hit you over the head, but I think a lot of people commend it. And I do too, because it, actually does it's kind of balanced and it's more balanced than you might guess if, right. so, if somebody yeah. said tim robbins and susan <laughs> sarandon who are quite vocal sort of proponents of kind of left-wing politics whatever, right if you would have said that they're putting together a movie on capital punishment you would have assumed that maybe it might be almost propaganda but it really isn't right think, or think, that it would yeah. feature an innocent you know somebody wrongly on death row sure that too right but this guy is horrible and yeah. not only is he horrible because of his crimes he's also racist mm. and goes on tv which one of the real guys actually did in her book goes on tv in an interview with you know espousing admiration for hitler right, and right. aryan brotherhood and all of that kind of thing so he's not sympathetic no no yeah. and so you know it's like there's a part of us that says yeah you know shoot him up kill him get rid of him mm. you know we 
we can do better as a society than having these kind of monsters, as you know, some people refer to him in the movie as. But the challenge then that she finds, and that we are all kind of confronted with by the movie, is that he's a person. Mm-hmm. You know, and what does that mean for our treatment of him? What does that mean for his life? And what does that mean for our expectations and our hopes for him? Do we just give up? Mm-hmm. And, and as you say this, and just to kind of anticipate a little bit, but yeah. it strikes me that the anthropology present in this movie, it, it, it's not entirely in, in contradiction to that of Dogville, but it definitely takes a slightly different yeah. perspective on the <laughs> on question. Human, on the, right. because, because he's a yeah. monster. Right, and she's doing everything she can to sort of find that 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 real humanity, that God touched right. humanity, right. that's implicit in him. Right, right? Um, and of course, it, yeah, <laughs> dog fell. It it's like well, I don't know, <laughs> they're dogs. <laughs> right, exactly. But anyway, we'll come back to that later. But yeah, that, you know, but you're right. I mean, she she's doing her absolute best to find the human being behind the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for his own sake. Mm, right? right for his own sake so you know this kind of brings me to the spiritual dimensions of the movie which you know as i said are about the conflict about you know society and what does does you know the existence of capital punishment in our society does it benefit us does it have a corrosive effect on us as a people um you know we need to confront that and talk about that and does it really help but I think there are other, other kind of points that can be drawn from this too, and I think it, it's not reaching to do it either. I think that they're they're clearly there. So I mean, one of the questions is, or one of the points that I really got from this is the theme of openness to God and openness to doing God's will, because. Sister Helen is a devout woman. I love the opening scenes that are a flashback to when she first Mm. took the veil. Um, Back in the 50s, we can presume, because it's a very traditional Mm. kind of ceremony. They dressed as brides, and then, because they're brides of Christ, and then they're sent into the convent after the uh, ritual and take on the habit and so on. Um, So she's obviously very devout. She's working with the poor. but when the invitation or the the opportunity comes, she says yes without really kind of thinking about it much, overthinking it, that she sees this request from a person in need as, well, of course, of course. You know, right. I don't know anything about it, and but maybe it's, you know, the spirit moving that has brought this person's request to me and it's kind of not up to me to just automatically put up a wall and you know she's asked several times during the movie why are you doing this how did you start getting involved with this situation and she says because he asked me right right because he asked me and that's I do a lot of work reading about the saints and when you read, you know, when we think about the saint, I'm not saying she's a saint. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but when, but the saints are people who that we look to as people who really follow God's will. And when you look at their story, sometimes in retrospect, we can think that they're like all laid out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, of course, St. Francis of Assisi was going to form an order and all of this kind of thing was going to... He, he knew what he was doing. He didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, all yeah. he did is he heard, you know, he had a conversion experience and he heard the voice of God saying rebuild my church and so he took it very literally Mm. and went out and started rebuilding a church and then everything kind of flows from there from his openness to God's will so that's a point is that we don't know where it's going to take us but we have to be open well and this is not the place to get into it but it, it I mean I think in a way it does follow kind of from questions about holiness and what holiness might consist of right yeah if if it was I'm holy. I'm going. I'm going to start this movement because I'm. Right. I'm a saint. Then. Right. Ipso facto, you've nullified your sanctity. Yeah, yeah. Your, your sanctity. Right. <laughs> so I. So I think you're right. It has to be kind of an occasion. There has to be an occasion for it, rather mm-hmm. than something that you sort of will. Right, and yeah. that's. I mean, that's. I think one of the definitions of holiness is openness to God. Thy will be done. I mean, right. for heaven's yeah. sake, it's the Lord's prayer. And then the other. Um, one other point is the whole issue of what it takes to 
be authentic and to recognize your own dignity and to recognize your status as a child of God. Mm. And that is truth, right? And truthfulness about who you are, truthfulness about what you've done. And that's her struggle with him because there's a whole thing is you need to, um, you know, I want you to die. You're going to die. And you need to die as a, you know, as a authentic person who's admitted what he's done. Now, we talked about this before. I, you know, one of my problems, no, it's not a problem. It is what it is. But when we talked about the exorcist a couple of weeks ago, one of the things we talked about was this question of the efficacy of the ritual, mm. you know, and the, the movie seems to, could be interpreted as saying the ritual is not as important or as effective as Father Karras's personal sacrifice. Mm. And there's something of the same thing that's happening here in that um, there's a priest in, in the movie, the ch prison chaplain, who says to Sister Helen, your job is to get this guy to repent and go to confession and save his soul, you know, get his soul saved. And that, as I, you know, said, is a very traditional kind of thing that happens in Catholicism. You know, St. Therese of Lisieux is one of the things she's known for is her dedication to this prisoner that was going to be executed that she didn't know personally, but she heard about him. She was determined that through his prayers, he would repent. And so he could go to heaven, not so he could feel good about himself, but so yeah. he would go to heaven. The movie implies that this is kind of obtuse on the priest's part, yeah, right? Right, right. But, but it, it, it doesn't bother to explore the kind of theology of the sacraments and right. why. That's actually a, a valid concern yeah. from the priest standpoint. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, that doesn't really affect Sister Helen in any case in the film. Right. right. Now, because her emphasis, what we hear her saying all the time is, first of all, he needs to... She wants him to accept responsibility because he just, it's the right thing to do, you know, and it's, you know, when you talk about justice, I mean, that's an essential cog in what justice is, is admitting what you've done and who you are. But she also, you know, says things like, you know, I, she doesn't want him to die with hate and with words of hate. She wants him to die knowing that he's loved. And, um that to me unfortunately comes to rest a little bit too much on her own person mm, yeah you know because at the end when he's getting executed and she's there watching you know she has said to him before i want you to die seeing the face of love so i want you to keep looking at me because i love you now you know incarnational I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, what else is he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Look at, look, I mean, because he could be focusing on, I mean, his victim's parents are there. Well, uh, you know, right? You could, you could yeah. take this message, I think, and I, I don't want to go too far afield mm -hmm. here again. There's all kinds of huge theological questions sort right. of underneath the surface here, but right. you could take this as a kind of participation in, in yeah. the love of God, right? Right, where, right. Where, where she does authentically kind of communicate Manifest God's it, right. love. She's a she's a, a medium yeah, for right. God's love. Or it could just be this kind of humanistic, <laughs> you know, sort of like, you know, I'm I really love you. You know, I'm not love itself, but I'm a really nice person <laughs> and I think you're really great. <laughs> right, you're, you're a okay child and I'm okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and because a, we never a, see him receiving the sacraments. Correct, so it's like right. we don't even know if he ever received So there the is sacraments. yeah, so I agree there's a danger of subjectivizing this notion of love rather than saying there that, that the universe stems from love itself right and that i am mediating that to you it's more of like i really care about you yeah yeah, yeah and that's not gonna bad help. and that's gonna help you right. yeah which is true it, right. would, it is gonna help yeah you. sure it's a good start <laughs> and then one more point is about the whole issue of what it takes to get us to that point of authenticity right. and truth about ourselves and in the film, what it obviously takes is I'm going to be dead in an hour. And that is finally what gets him to the point of being able to admit to her what he's done. And I just want to throw in, you know, kudos for the editing of this film because yeah, it's what we've seen from the beginning, we have seen flashbacks to the crime but only in like little pieces and the color changes sometimes it's in black and white and but it's not until after that he has 
taken a lie detector test, basically kind of failed it, and is really facing, you know, hours away, and then the, during the execution itself, that we see the reality of what happened, um, and the fact that he actually did participate, and he did all the things that he denied, and he admits it to her, and as we talked about before, you know, some people use this as a way to say, well, this movie actually is an argument for the death mm -hmm. penalty because... Yeah, I've heard people say that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I look at it from a more spiritual... I mean, maybe it is, but from a more spiritual perspective of Memento Mori is that one of the mm. things that helps each of us kind of approach the truth about ourselves is the knowledge that we're going to die. I mean, it, it, sometimes it can prompt more Didn't denial. did you post about something like this in Spain? I feel like... Yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah, no, I saw right. the statue in the Pobleno um, Cemetery in Barcelona that's a very famous statue. You can look it up. It's called Kiss of Death. And it's of a young man kind of slouched over, obviously dying, being kissed on the head by a skeleton. So, I mean, but you can just go look at a crucifix in a Catholic sure, church. And, right. and, um, and so, in a way, as I s said... You know, in order to face the truth about ourselves, we need to always remember that, you know, we're going to die. We're going to face God. We're going to face judgment. And when I watched this movie, I could not help thinking about the line from A Good Man is Hard to Find mm -hmm. by Flannery O'Connor, which the criminal, the, what's he called? The misfit. The misfit. Says right. she'd have been a good woman <laughs> if she'd had someone there to shoot her every day of her life. Mm -hmm. And... You know, to me, it's kind of the same point, is that we can live in denial about who we are, but then we're living in denial. We're not, you know, we're not living the truth. So, that's, and that's her goal for him, which, again, is a great goal, but it's, you know, maybe falls short, mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of in the whole traditional Christian cosmology, which is yeah, calling you... for repentance, not just so I die in peace, but so I live with God forever. Right. right? You, you wonder if, to what extent, Robbins, who, again, does a, a brilliant job oh, yeah. directing the film and adapting uh, right. the, you know, the, the, the book to screenplay, you wonder to what extent he just didn't want to get into the oh, Catholic yeah. theology, or was he deliberately eschewing it? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, know? it also yeah. might be an aspect of the book. I mean, Could be. I don't right. know what, right. where she, I've never read the book, so I wouldn't be surprised if she, you know, kind of took a, that that perspective right yeah but no it does it does open up you know again there, there's one of the best and hopefully all the movies that we select i mean one of the yeah. best things about this movie is that it invites Just, further investigation yeah. more reading more study i mean if somebody pulls out like you know so what is the stance on capital punishment mm -hmm. whether it's in catholic circles or in others you know and and why right <laughs> what, right like what what is the justification for this or that sort of understanding of capital punishment the anthropology behind it, the mm -hmm. spirituality behind it, et cetera, et cetera. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a whole host of, you know, labyrinths that you could go down after right. a film like this. I think. Right. Yeah. Okay, you got some questions. Yeah, I got. Okay. All right, we're we're ready for the uh, ready. for the categories. Oh, but look, we it's we horrible. often we often laugh about. Ironically, we laugh about. What is the funniest <laughs> moment in this really serious <laughs> film, like The Exorcist or whatever? <laughs> This one might be the hardest yet. This might be the hardest one of any movie we discuss. I think so. Yes. Well, I, what is the funniest moment? I guess the funniest moment is kind of an intentionally black humorous one when Matthew takes out a cigarette and she says, those things will kill you. Right. So there, there's that. Okay. That's good. That's good. I like it. You, in a way, this is the hardest category to answer every week, except for yeah. last week, with the, yeah. or the last the last. Well, no, but those are hard, well. too, because there's so many. Right, right. That's right. You're overwhelmed moments. with humor. Yeah. Okay. Most poignant moment. Um, I'm going to say the most poignant moment is the walk to the chamber. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, the encounters with the victim's families, but I think when he's walking to the death chamber and she's behind him and she's touching his shoulder, mm -hmm. it's basically the first time she's ever been able to touch him. Right, right. And she's reading to him from Isaiah. And you feel the urgency. Yeah, you feel the right. urgency. And it, it's, it's just, it's, it's life and death right there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this will be a redundant question, but mm -hmm. if you can only watch one scene. No, I, I mean, yeah. I think if I could only watch one scene, it would be his confession scene mm -hmm. when he finally admits to her. Not only because it's, you know, the point of the movie, but also because I find, you know, both the, the acting is tremendous for yeah, both of them. Yeah. But for her, when she, when he finally admits it, she just, it's like relief. 
on her face and it's so subtle and it's so beautiful you really get the point that this is what she has been after is okay he's gonna die but at least he's gonna die with the dignity of Mm -hmm. having accepted responsibility yeah kind of a well okay the the next question is best performance and i'm gonna i'm gonna get in front of you here and just say it reminds you of what a great actor Sean Penn is and how we're sort of missing out with him spending the last (laughs) decade doing like Hunter S. Thompson journalism running around in Costa Rica or wherever he was like and I'm not saying like no I'm not saying that his (laughs) efforts aren't sincere or that he doesn't intend to contribute but he's an excellent actor like he 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 just sits on run in this movie so so probably as much as I think Sarandon's role is a little bit of a softball I think she's great at it yeah um I would probably go pen just for what it's worth. Who, who's your I best was going to say Sarandon. Okay. I just, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, because I just right. felt it's it's right. a little subtler. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's he's great, but she she's got a she portrays a lot of like inner conflict. She's not talking to many people mm-hmm. about what she's experiencing. Yeah, but you can kind of see it in her huge eyes mm-hmm. and um, just the subtle expressions in her face. I think. She's an incredible actress. I mean, yeah, yeah there's, there, there aren't many as good as her. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the, the fact she went from Bull Durham, which is where she met Tim Robbins, right? Right, right. Uh, and she plays this kind of, like, baseball-obsessed sex pot. Right. right. And then <laughs> a few years later, now she's playing a nun, and she's truly believable in both yeah, roles. It's, right. it's really impressive. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, ultimate takeaway. Tr- the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Well yeah. done. Yeah. All right. I was prepared. Okay. All right. So that so that that wraps us up with uh, with Dead Man Walking. Uh, great movie and uh, uh, one that again inter- interestingly, you know, but corresponds to and in a sense contrasts with our next movie today, which will yeah. be Dogville, which we'll come back to uh, after a quick break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We just had a very long break, actually, uh, and it wasn't just because I got a pilsner, which I did, but uh, but it was also because we were debating theological issues and current yeah. events in the church, and we're not going to get into that now. Not now. We, maybe one day, Someday. if we dare. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we're going to get back to our films, right? And so yeah. I've chosen uh, Dogville, which is Lars von Trier's film from 2003, and I mean, one of the things that... You know, when you think about von Trier, those who know his name know that he is a very polarizing figure in yeah. contemporary cinema. And, you know, if you're interested and if you want to do some some Internet research, some half-assed Internet <laughs> research, you know, if you want to dig into this sort of thing, you know, you'll find that he's been accused of this and he, you know, he's raised doubts about that. And, um, you know, you know, as somebody who, uh, you know, if, if you're concerned about sort of his background, there's not no mm-hmm. little amount of information out there right. to kind of look into. Having said that, he is a very influential filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think he at least merits inclusion on our list. And I'm gonna I'm gonna defend that uh, okay. now, right? <laughs> so so von Trier, he's, he's a he's a Danish um, you know, auteur, right? Writer, director. Yeah. Uh, actor at times hmm. uh, and he really made his name uh, in the mid 90s around the time that Dead Man Walking was coming yeah. out with this movement called Dogma 95 okay. right okay so that tells you a little bit about his personality yeah. already right yeah, he's a he's a he's a, a person of great opinions uh, mm-hmm. he likes to kind of uh, rabble rouse a little bit stir the pot mm-hmm. um, and this was uh, an intent you know or this was a kind of movement that he and a handful of other filmmakers were behind to bring cinema back to realism Mm -hmm. cinematic realism which Mm -hmm. if you go back into the annals of like film theory you look at writers like Siegfried Krakauer Andre Bazan like they they felt that this was the real direction that cinema should move into Mm -hmm. and uh, Dogma 95 as understood by Von Trier would return filmmaking to uh, the sort of French new wave you know, handheld cameras. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had all kinds of sort of rules. So I wrote down a yeah. few of these rules. Okay. Like, Von Trier called them vows of chastity. Jeez. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so when you when you, when you're a filmmaker, adhering to the principles of Dogma ninety five, you take these vows, and that means you don't use any manufactured props. Um, mm. You do not use manufactured sets. So everything is done very you know again sort of on mm-hmm. set, right? There is no non diegetic sound, meaning you don't import sound into the film. So this podcast is non right, right, right? So right. when you hear yeah. the honking horns, like we're, yeah, we're sort right. of dogma 95 <laughs> yeah. people. Um, again, handheld cameras only. 
Uh, the elimination of like superficial actions, such as like set pieces, action sequences, mm -hmm. this kind of thing. Like everything should move organically through the film. And ultimately what Von Trier was after was a kind of pure cinema, yeah. right? An aesthetic uh, purification of the, of, the, of the sort of art form. And he thought that this would usher in, again, a kind of revolution in filmmaking. Um, and, and actually, I mean, Dogville is one of the final expressions of this movement. I mean, it kind of mm -hmm. shut down in the mid-2000s. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll talk more about how it represents Dogma okay. 95. But needless to say, it hasn't endured, right? No. Um, I mean, one of the sort of criticisms of Dogma 95 is that all of the films look the same, which, of course, they do. Yeah, right, <laughs> so right. They're yeah. sort of formulaic. They're colorless. They don't have soundtracks. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of like a... a, a, a a dearth of entertainment value in some of these films. I don't think, for what it's worth, that Dogville is like that. I think oh, it's no. actually very entertaining. It film. is. It and is. and it, maybe it's the, the kind of apex of what Von Trier was trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, you know, this was this this sort of sort of strident emphasis on certain aesthetic principles yeah. was what made him. A, I don't want to say a household name, but certainly people who love cinema and enjoy yeah. films they knew his name he was a, a kind of a big deal in the late 90s early 2000s mm -hmm. par partially because of these aesthetic principles that he uh espoused now the ethical stuff another yeah. this is the other thing that he got sort of known for right okay. was von trier is known to push boundaries so if for some reason you watch dogville and you go back <laughs> and you decide you're going to watch his other films just know that yeah. in every film that you watch, yeah. you're probably going to feel uncomfortable at some point, right. if not right. multiple times throughout the film. Right. I mean, um, the only other yeah. one of his I'd seen was Breaking the Waves, which right. definitely... Do you want to say a little bit about that? Or Well, I kind of don't remember mm. a lot of... It's Emily Watson, and she plays the wife of a of minister... A... Right. Well, he's yeah. uh, no. He works on an oil rig. Oh, he and he's he's dam he's injured in some kind of accident. Oh, right. right. And so she ends up. Yeah. Having. <laughs> So, right, right. She does, she does a lot of sex. Other right. Well, for him, for his so, sake. So, right. There, right. There's this sort of, he sort of manipulates her. You know, it, you, you would think, and again, this is classic Von Trier, and I, I haven't seen it for quite some time mm -hmm. either, but sort of classic Von Trier where, where, where he takes a kind of, you know, a, a situation that might on the surface seem very sympathetic, right? This mm -hmm. guy gets injured. He's a, I think he's a paraplegic. Mm -hmm. um, and then the paraplegic becomes... The manipulator right. and the evil person, if you will, yeah. and his wife sacrifices herself to please him, right? right? And, and mm -hmm. as it were, to give him some peace and reconciliation with his fate, that, yeah. know, which again he is suffering greatly from this injury. Um, but she's religious, right? Isn't that she is religious? And that, right. So she sees it as like a right. That's as a right. religious act, as a spiritual right. act. Right, and the local, right. It, it's set in Scotland, and the kind of local community judges her for yeah. what she's doing, yeah. um, and, and she sees herself as, you know, kind of doing it on his behalf. It's kind of a vicarious, mm -hmm. you know, performance for, on her side. Okay. Again, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. it, but, but I will simply say that, and, I, and I'm glad you actually mentioned it, because mm -hmm. Von Trier's films, while, again, secular-minded in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. and you have, I've seen different interviews with him where he's, well, I'm a Catholic. No, I'm not. I'm mm -hmm. an atheist. Like, yeah. it's hard to really pin him down religiously. But he it, he does take it. You've said something about the Coen Brothers last yeah. episode that I've been thinking about a lot. They take religion seriously. That's right. Right. Yeah. Not so just the Montreal. opening of the people. Right? That's right. Montreal <laughs> takes religion seriously. This yeah. is no this is no kind of silliness that needs to be laughed off. Right. He wants right. to get into it. So going back to his kind of reputation okay. I mean, ethically. He pushes the boundaries. And so just, you know, another example we mentioned Breaking the Waves is this recent film, 2018, uh, The House That Jack Built, mm -hmm. which uh, is set in hell. Okay. okay. And it follows the gruesome narration of a former serial killer named Jack, played yeah. by Matt Dillon, sort oh. of a rehabilitation effort there. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the, when the movie premiered at Cannes, some people thought it was brilliant, stood up and clapped, but mm -hmm. apparently dozens of people walked out wow. because of the violence in the film. Uh, you know, Von Trier kind of defended it. He said, this is an allegory about the mm. Trump presidency. <laughs> Which, that's right. what I thought of immediately. Yeah, that's right. what it must be. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> well, it is similar to with Dogville, how a lot of the themes offended people. And he said, well, this is about American imperialism. Right. And I don't know if it, it's he is kind of, a, again, a provocateur. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder if he's kind of winking when he says these sort of things yeah. like, you know, oh, this will get everybody on my side. <laughs> right. you know? um, but in any case, I mean. 
like Breaking the Waves, and like we'll see in Dogville, I mean, a lot of his films are known for the victimization of a quote-unquote heroic woman, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. who voluntarily suffers on behalf of others. And Mm -hmm. some people have said, we'll see, he's clearly a misogynist. We'll we'll come back Mm -hmm. to this point, probably, at least indirectly we will. Um, Because Dogville definitely runs with this theme and then kind of turns it on its head. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of the actors, he he does usually pull a lot of big names, you know, important actors uh, work with him. And Nicole Kidman, who stars in Dogville, said, look, I don't agree with everything this guy does, um, but he's a real artist. Mm -hmm. He has things to say and he's committed to his vision and I respect him. So Mm. I think maybe that's the the, the least we can say for Von Trier is that he, he cares about his work. He's committed to filmmaking, and mm-hmm. his movies are not... They will not leave you without an opinion. Right. Okay. Right. So that's by way of introduction. Okay. okay. All right. So Dogville is like Breaking the Waves, which we talked about, 1996, and Dance in the Dark, which came out in 2000, and that it does follow the Dogma 95 principles. Um, but Dogville is extremely radical in its approach. Uh, oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I'll be interested in what you think about this. But the whole thing is set up in extreme minimalism. Yeah. Right? So the roofs and the walls of like the houses on set are completely missing in many cases, right? Um, there might be one wall in a house, but the rest of the house is exposed. So, so as a viewer, you can see into the house. Well, right? and it's—I mean, yeah. it looks like it's painted on a stage. Right. I mean, right? It is on. It is done on a stage. Yeah. <laughs> see, non-diegetic sound. <laughs> Here it comes. We're gonna let it pass. Okay. Let's <laughs> see. We did not import that. That was not edited in. That's reality. See, aren't you impressed? Yes. Yeah. Right. Be impressed. Uh, right. Von Trier would appreciate that. Yes. Um, so yeah. So it's paint. It's like painted on a set, and it's just there's like paint on the floor to indicate the houses, and then there's furniture, and that's it. Right. Right. And you'll have these outlines of things too, right. like where it'll say like dog. Yeah, dog. <laughs> I mean, outline of dog. Here's the dog, or or something. Uh, sort of consistent reference. I don't know if you have anything to say about this. I don't think I do, but it, maybe there is something there, but the gooseberry bushes, which are discussed yeah, quite frequently throughout the film, and they're yeah. outlined quite mm-hmm. you know, explicitly on, on set. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing really is, is, is filmed on a stage that really contains no structures on mm-hmm. it at all. Just a, hand, a wall here, you know, a chair there, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and so this is realism it's almost so real that it's not real. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and we'll come back to that. But I, I think that, you know, one of the things that one of the things that Von Trier wants to do is he wants the audience to really focus on a, you know, the dialogue and what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he also has in mind something like a God's eye perspective on the action. Yeah, right? I got that. Because, yeah, yeah because what, what's going on in, in, in Dogville, and we'll, we'll get to this in just a moment, but this rampant criminality that in other films is really, let's say, it comes down to the perspective of a character. If you think about Dead Man Walking, is a good mm-hmm. example here, where, you know, from one side, we see Matthew Poncelet and Dead Man Walking, we say, God, you know, he came for this poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, Sister Helen sees the good in him. But then you go interview the, the, the family members of right. the victims, and they say he's an evil man. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of perspectival kind mm-hmm. of, Discussions about what do we see when we see Poncelet. But yeah. one of the things that I think Dogville does is with this kind of open setting where you yeah. can see into the houses is that you are right. the judge, yeah. right? And you right. are essentially in God's position, right. Right? right? There, There is no kind of like, well, this is what he said, and this is what she said. But rather there is like, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have anything else to say about the set. I mean, but yeah. No, I mean, I really, I thought it also, it just, I, I tried to envision this being you know, told with a traditional set, mm. like maybe in a real Rocky Mountain town or something mm-hmm. like that. And it right. just wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't, because I think that divine almost perspective mm. does, is essential part of the story. Yeah. And I was, I was looking back, it's, it's not anything that's been tried a lot in mm-hmm. the history of films. And mm-hmm. so again, if anything, it marks this film as quite original. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there was a couple of examples, but it, it has a kind of off-Broadway feel. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you might think of Our Town or something. It's right. like a kind of a weird reversal of Our Town. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And I remember, I remember walking, I shouldn't do this because I don't want to waste time, but I remember walking into a play in Dublin oh, a yeah. long time ago yeah. that was like 
this this one guy was playing all the the roles. I think it was Brett actually. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it was Beckett. It was it was oh, Beckett. Yeah. And 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 I was with a friend of mine. He was like, "This is the worst thing I've ever watched. <laughs> Can we get the hell out of here?" I was like, "Yeah, let's go." Uh, but but this is actually well done. It, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of minimalist aesthetic, but in such a way that it's it's quite intriguing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what's the story? Yeah. All right. So okay. so first of all. Dogville has a narrator. It's John Hurt, great mm-hmm. British actor. I think he's really. I don't know if he, I think he's great. You could oh, almost put him up for best performance. Yeah, you right. could. Yeah, right. So, Don, so John Hurt narrates the film. It's divided into nine chapters and a prologue. Uh, and you know, like 19th century uh, novels, like mm-hmm. each chapter comes with a kind of description of what's to follow. So you don't even worry about spoilers here. You, know? you can just, you know, the movie gives you the spoilers, right. which again is a kind of indication that that von Trier is after bigger things here. This is not a movie that's supposed to just be kind what of, you know, yeah, right. you're not supposed to watch it and then kind of throw it away. You know, right. it's supposed to kind of stick with you. There's there's bigger issues here. Um, so this writerly kind of intricacy oh, of, uh, of Dogville. Yeah. Sorry, you like- I, I thought you were going to talk about the uh, Paul Bettany character who was like, Oh, I I'm getting there. To, yeah. Okay. Oh, you really chopping at the bit with oh, him. I right, am. right, right. It's <laughs> good academic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, okay. So the basic plot of Dogville is this, all right. It's set in a fictional town, Dogville. Mm-hmm. All right. Which is found in an old mining area deep in the Rocky mountains. Okay. This is a, as it as it happens, this is a pretty important point because mm-hmm. when Nicole Kidman's character Grace shows up, she's essentially stuck there, mm-hmm. which is essential right. to the goings on of the film. But it also seems to be set in the kind of era of impoverishment. This is not Vale, Colorado. Okay, no, no. you know these people are struggling. They they don't have a and lot of money. Yeah and, yeah, and Franklin Roosevelt's on the radio, right? Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so it's the Depression mm-hmm. sort of. Depression era. The, the, mm-hmm. Some of the some of the props in the in the in the film do suggest mm-hmm. this. So, here's the story. It can be broken into thirds. Really, essentially three chapters per aspect mm-hmm. of the story. So, first we get this beautiful young woman, uh, Grace, played by Nicole Kidman, who happens upon this town of Dogville. She's fleeing. We don't know it at the time, but she's right. fleeing from her father, who is a powerful gangster identified in the credits only as the big man right played by james Kahn, of course of godfather heritage um and local the sort of local academic he's this kind of serious teacher and thinker von trier has no you know he, he spares nothing to ridicule this this character right. his name is uh tom edison jr it's played by paul bettany quite good mm-hmm. uh and he comes to help grace right and so the initial sort of move that that Tom makes is to kind of integrate Grace into the township. And we meet sort of various residents. That some of them we get to know better than others, but they're all, like, initially, they sort of all sort of seem decent enough, right? Yeah, but his motivation is he to kind of test them. It's to, it's to morally uplift them. Right. Right? That's like his goal that he... Illustration. It, yeah, to use yes. her as an illustration. Right. He thinks right. that the moral health of the town will be exposed or revealed or yeah. illustrated by how they deal mm-hmm. with grace, mm-hmm. which is a very important point mm-hmm. in the film. Right. Uh, so everything initially seems okay. The people are nice enough. There's there, you know, everybody's sort of like, Oh, what can we do to help grace? Then the police show up mm-hmm. and they're, they're saying they're looking for grace. Okay. And there, and we know, because because as the audience, we know that Grace is fleeing from, the, you know, uh, you know these the sort of powerful mobsters and so on. We, we know that there's probably more to the story. But the but the the, the, the members of Dogville, the residents of Dogville, are concerned, right? I mean, Grace mm-hmm. is a missing person. Oh no, now she's wanted. The police mm-hmm. come back. They say she's wanted. Um, and there's this sort of like, oh my gosh, this Grace that's now entered our town is actually a fugitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're doing something dangerous by kind of keeping her here. Um, and so the townspeople sort of say, look, if you're going to stay here, you got to start doing stuff for us, too. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit more than you have been doing. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not talking about sort of minor work here. Mm-hmm. So this is where the movie kind of kicks into high gear, mm-hmm. right? So Grace is now totally vulnerable to the different needs and desires of the people, which really from the outset or announces very they're they're diverse right i mean everybody's got kind of a different hang up a different issue um and all of them take out these issues and these problems on grace Mm -hmm. right Right. and it gets pretty rough yeah right uh so so grace um at one point 
you know, finds herself alone with uh, sort of the, the kind of local grump, uh, Chuck, uh, played by Stellan uh, Skarsgård, uh, and he rapes her. Right. Uh, you know, she she starts thinking, like, this is this is not going well. I want to get out of here. Tom mm-hmm. says, oh, yes. You know, Tom's very sympathetic throughout most of the film, but mm-hmm. he doesn't do anything. He's mm-hmm. all talk, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, look, we're going to get you out of here. He arranges for her to... Uh, to, to leave on a, on a truck with with the local truck driver, he rapes her. Then the women in the town gang up on Grace, and they say, "You're seducing our men." Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, they all decide, you know what? She's just too dangerous. We're going to have to lock her up. Uh, and mm-hmm. so Grace is chained up. Uh, people come and regularly sort of take advantage of her. And again, if this is where your your buttons are likely to be pushed, mm-hmm. Von Trier, I think clearly well. Actually, it's not the only place your right, buttons are like, but right. this is certainly one of the places. Yeah. And it's hard It's hard to watch, mm-hmm. I mean, frankly. Um, do you, I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Or, well, yeah. I will say that I watched this on the plane coming yeah. back from Spain. <laughs> I, can't, I knew it was going to be rough, but I'm right. like holding my iPad. So you, the, my did you seat ask mates. for a, a, an entire row to yourself? <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. But it was, I wanted. I did want to make sure that... <laughs> I'm not watching this. Right. It's not, just for those who it's might not, be interested, it's not, it's not graphic. No, no. But it's disturbing. It is disturbing, right. Yeah. It, yeah. And, 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 and in a way, that's effective, I think. The most yeah. disturbing thing to me, though, was the kid wanting to yeah. be spanked. Right. That was like, Ugh. Well, and that's an important part yeah. of the film is because what Von Trier wants to suggest, and I want to get too ahead okay. of myself here, but that this kind of the, the diseased nature of the people mm-hmm. in Dogville, it's, it runs all the way mm-hmm. through the town. It's right. not just like a couple of bad people. Mm-hmm. It's the men, it's the women, it's the poor people, it's the rich people. All mm-hmm. of them are, mm-hmm. are, as it were, infected, yeah. right, with this kind of evil, even the children, right? right? Um, so everything comes to head when the big man finally shows up. Mm-hmm. Tom decides, you know what, this whole thing with Grace is looking like a disaster. You know, I, tr- I thought that I was going to illustrate our, the moral health of our community. In <laughs> fact, I look like an idiot. Everybody looks like idiots. This is horrible. He calls... The police, eventually the big man shows up mm-hmm. with his mobsters and Grace reconciles with her father. They, they get together in the car and they have what I think is, and I'm giving a, this away, a category, but this is the best scene in the film. Mm-hmm. Grace and her father, the big man, they get together in the car and they discuss, like, what are they going to do about this? Mm-hmm. They find, you know, he now knows that she's been abused, raped, chained up. He's angry. And initially Grace says, these people are sad. They're pitiful. But then she steps out of the car and she looks over the town and, and it's a brilliantly narrated by John Hurt mm-hmm. that something kind of comes over her and she realizes that, you know, she'd never really agreed with her father before. He's this violent, uncompromising mobster. Mm-hmm. But suddenly she realizes he might be onto something. These mm-hmm. people don't deserve forgiveness, actually. Mm-hmm. And so then she gets back in the car and she says, you know what? Uh these people need to go <laughs> and, and in a violent fashion and actually I actually I wrote down the, the part of their discussion here I want, yeah, I want to read okay. it because I think it's pretty relevant okay. so the big man James Kahn says rapists and murderers may be the victims according to you Grace but I I call them dogs and if they're lapping up their own vomit the only way to stop them is with a lash Grace says but dogs only obey their own nature so why shouldn't we forgive them and the big man says Dogs can be taught many useful things, but if we forgive them every time they obey their own nature, you know, and so, so then he kind of implies that, you know, this, you know, just forgiving them is not going to, is not going to actually bring about right behavior. Judgment needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? There has yeah. to actually be some kind of punishment for yeah. what they have done. Uh, and so ultimately Grace relents to her mm-hmm. father's kind of reasoning. And she says, you know what? Yep. The town has to go everything in the town except the dog Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so then you see the mobsters go through the town and they're just shooting everybody right and again it is violent it's Mm -hmm. not violent in the sense of blood and gore but it's disturbing yeah um and that's that's essentially the end of the film Mm -hmm. before i move on to the themes do you have anything to say about the plot or anything else um well you may cover this in the themes but i mean to me one of the key parts of their conversation was that he said for her to like kind of be merciful and excuse their behavior was an act of arrogance mm-hmm. on her part. Right, that's right. Yeah. That she wouldn't accept that for herself. For herself, right, that's right. So yeah. to s- excuse them, which is, would be his definition of mercy, his way he would see mercy, is to make them childish. It's mm-hmm. not to um, kind of uh, see them as fully 
human yeah. capable of accepting responsibility, which ties in to my film, too. Right, yeah, it yeah. doesn't take their agency seriously. Right. right? You can't baby these people. Right. So, okay, so religious themes. Now, again, Von Trier, you know, he sort of skirts on the edges of sort of theology, uh, you know, and I don't think he's ever specifically tied this to kind of a theological mm-hmm. motif. Um, but it's pretty hard to, to yeah. miss, right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think so. One thing that that crops up is that there is there is a kind of superficial juxtaposition of like the Old Testament, and the New Testament, yeah. the Old Testament God, the New Testament God, mm-hmm. and, the, and 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 again, I'm going to address that in a minute before anybody writes me and says there's not a there's not an actual oh, contrast. Yes. I, yes, I agree. <laughs> but I'm simply saying. That, that it seems like that there's a kind of interplay between these two ideas, right? That right. that one way of dealing with human sinfulness is that there's judgment and rep- retribution on mm-hmm. the sinful. And the other is that there's mercy and forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, this seems to be like the way a lot of people talk today about the Bible. And it's really historically the way people have talked about the right. Bible. I mean, you know, Marcion, right, the sort of mm-hmm. famous heretic of the second century, had said that the Old Testament has nothing to do with the New Testament. Right. Now, the early church fathers rejected Marcionite As a heresy. perspectives, right? right. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, there still seems to be, I think, kind of, I see this with my students at times, I've seen, just sort of seen it sort of in common, mm-hmm. sort of casual discussions, like, well, the, the Old Testament is about a vengeful God, and the New Testament is about a loving God. Mm-hmm. And it seems like what Von Trier wants us to see is that you know, God's charity, right? The, the, the charity mm-hmm. represented by grace, this, this long-suffering yeah. patience with the people of Dogville. And she is, let me, let me be clear. Yeah. The whole movie, she's making excuses for them. Oh, mm-hmm. they, they raped me only because they were sad and they're not, they're not fulfilled in their lives or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, when she does turn against them, it is, is in such a way as to suggest that there is even the most loving and forgiving person runs out of patience yeah, at some point. Right, right. right. Um, and so there seems to be this implication that God's charity does not exclude God's punishment. Mm-hmm. Right? I think about the gates of hell, like in, in right. Dante's Inferno. Right? Yeah, right. Um, but is it, do you remember the exact phrasing? I don't off the top of my head, but no. like God's mercy fashioned these gates. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but this idea that, you know, God wants repentance, yes, mm-hmm. but the choice to remain unrepentant will not be forgotten. Right. 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 And that's that agency issue that you were talking yeah. about. I don't know if you, I, I'm about to go to my next one. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. The next thing, question of judgment, right? Yeah. And I was telling Amy, you know, I, I've shown clips of this film to my uh, classes before, not not the worst parts of course, <laughs> but, but, but one of the things I wanted students to confront is like, you know, we have this kind of contemporary liberal assumption that judgment is this antiquated concept, you mm-hmm. know, and we think about sort of post-modernity and perspectives on morality and what your truth is is not my truth mm-hmm. or this kind of Seinfeldian like <laughs> you know there's nothing wrong with that not that there's anything wrong with that kind right. of attitude and Von Trier wants us to sort of see that like well you know maybe some injustices actually demand not like mm-hmm. it's not like an extra thing like they actually demand a final reckoning mm-hmm. and that there is there can't be justice if there's not like judgment right um right. and you know as I thought about this I was thinking about okay this movie comes out in 2003 mm-hmm we're now in, it's 20 years old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which so, is crazy. Right. Crazy people. But, <laughs> but still like, so we're, it's 20 years old and, and the world is different now, right? Mm-hmm. We now live in this era of cancel culture, mm-hmm. January the 6th and all right. these kind of things. And there seems to be all these people want reckonings. Everybody wants. Yeah. So I kind of wondered like, has this movie now kind of aged out in mm-hmm. a certain way? Um, and I, you know, the, I, I still kind of thought to myself, it all depends on how you understand this notion of judgment. Like, you know, from a political standpoint, I do think many people have come to Von Trier's side, right? That we need a reckoning. We need a judgment. Right. That's why we have this protest. That's why we have this politician. You know, what was it? What did Trump say? I want vengeance, right? Did yeah, he not? I right, think he did right, say that, right? right. Um, somebody else can, he's more on their <laughs> politics, can correct me on that. But I'm pretty sure that's what he said, that he wanted yeah. some kind of vengeance on the electorate and on the sort of what he perceived to be the flawed process of the last last election. So I think politically, both left and right sort of accept that we now need to come down hard. We need to cancel people Mm -hmm. that don't agree with us. But usually that does excludes this idea of like a final reckoning or that even these political perspectives are somehow temporary and provisional and Mm -hmm. flawed, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that all of earthly life, including politics, actually falls under a higher judgment. Yeah. And I think that Dogville can still be profitably watched with that in mind. Like, yeah. you think, because there are characters in the film who are like, 
oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm working. I care about the common man or right. what have you. Right. But, but when they have their opportunity with grace, they take it. advantage of yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, and I think when you take, you know, what I get from what you're saying is that when you take divine judgment off the table and are out of our lives, then we're going to all take on that role ourselves. Right. Right. And yeah. we're all going to become the judge and we're all going to. Right, which is scary. Right. 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 And, and, I, and I think that's, that is our political climate now yeah. where, again, people have taken Von Trier's message politically and applied it as such. Mm-hmm. But if there is a higher judgment, then even those political standpoints stand to be relativized and yeah. reckoned with right. ultimately. Right. Um, and I guess this leads to the, the third thing. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you sent me an article and I, and I did yeah. read it and I thought yeah. it was good. Yeah. Um, and, the, I forgot the name of the writer. Victor Morton. Right, Victor yeah. Morton says, yeah. you know, this movie's about hell. Yeah. Well, so I kind of realized, all right, I don't know if I if it's about hell. <laughs> but but I think it is about the possibility of hell, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of people today are embarrassed by the topic of hell. Where it's like, oh, hell. Like, who believes in hell? Does anybody believe in right. hell? Like, we love Halloween. I think one reason why we love Halloween is because we don't believe in hell. In some right. respects, oh, it's a fun day to kind of right. put skeletons. Pretend. And, right, right. right. Um, LARP. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. But but I think, you know, what Dogville suggests is that hell is a serious topic. I think this mm-hmm. is the, this is like the minimal perspective on this. I mean, we might want to read into it more. Yeah. But if there's one thing you can take away from the film is that, like, you know, considering the kind of problem of human, human sinfulness and, and what it means for our lives... You can't honestly just shrug aside the possibility of an ultimate reckoning, reckoning right, right? right? And I think the movie kind of raises that question. Now, I mean, now I kind of quickly jotted down a couple of thinkers recently, mm-hmm. or even historically, have dealt with these things, like somebody like Hans Urs von Balthasar, mm-hmm. the great Catholic theologian. You know, he wrote a book called "Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved," right. which I know some Catholic theologians who deeply object to it, but but mm-hmm. but Balthazar's kind of idea is that hell is a very serious problem in the Bible. Again, I think sort of like Dogville in that regard. Right. And he thinks that it's the duty of Christians to sort of pray that hell be empty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But again, I, I commend Balthazar because he mm-hmm. doesn't let us off the hook in terms of thinking about hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, others like Reginald uh, Garigou Lagrange wrote these great philosophical treatises on, mm-hmm. the, on eschatology. And for them, hell is a kind of part of this sort of theological order it's sort of as it were stitched into the kind of metaphysical nature of the universe yeah um and so for garagou lagrange hell is is an inevitable topic in any mm-hmm. kind of theological reflection and then you know think about like maybe in a protestant context something like jonathan edwards like sinners in the hands of an angry <laughs> right. god like hell is this sort of right. thing that's stalking you right. but the point i'm trying to get at is that there have hell has always been a kind of important topic in reflection on christian theology oh, yeah Probably until like recently, yeah. Right. And I mean, Balthazar was, you know, he's a fairly recent figure, but even now is kind of fading into the background mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, and so I think what Von Trier does is kind of say, no, no, this topic does reflect some serious, you know, it, it reflects a serious concern. It demands our contemplation and our consideration. And it shouldn't be just shrugged off as a right. as a nothing. And so I think you know, it, it's in this regard. I mean, we you know, you know, eschatology. Is, is a subject that's sort of dealt with awkwardly. Mm-hmm. I wrote about this a little bit in my book on Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. who I was very interested in eschatology, mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think Von Trier, to me, he deserves points, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, and he deserves, he merits a place on our list yeah. because he's not afraid to deal with an eschatological question about like judgment, like death, like hell. Yeah. So those are my key takeaway sort of theological uh, motifs. So okay. hit me with my categories. Okay. okay. Uh, so here we go. The funniest moment in Dogville. Yeah. Okay. I struggle with this one as well, <laughs> but I, I do, I have to chuckle at the scene early in, in the film where Tom, who we know is a kind of scoundrel and, right. you know, he's playing chess with Bill, who's a little bit huh? mentally challenged, yeah. right? Yeah. And he just, crushes him in chess right? Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and bill sort of no like mercy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, no so mercy. so again yeah. tom we, we we think that tom is this good guy most of the yeah. film you see you see that oh he cares and there is a kind of parody of academics yeah. or people who philosophize i think about writers yes writers mm. like like bob dylan 
you know, philosophize disgrace. You know, people right. who stand up and say, oh, these injustices are happening. I'm going to get on Twitter and talk about it. Right. But they're the worst is what right. Montreal suggests. Right. <laughs> uh, right. And, and you and you don't have you don't always know it until you watch them play chess. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a buddy of mine were talking recently. It's like when you play pickup basketball with somebody oh. and they don't pass the ball. You know something about right. that person, right. Right? right? So, so I do think, but it's it's the way Von Trier portrays it in that moment. It's it's both funny and also a, a form of foreshadowing. I right, think, right. Tom's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that was that is yeah. true. All right, and most poignant. Well, I mean, I so I think it is the it's more more non diegetic sound. Yeah. I think it's the sequence where Grace goes from tortured by Vera, right? Her, right. if you will, kind of her female antagonist. And then he's, she's raped and betrayed by Ben and then put in chains. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like, he just kind of beats you over the head. And mm-hmm. when you see her finally chained up, there's a, there is a real sense of, um, oh. of, of not, not just being moved, but just like, that's, that's about as bad as it can be. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's slavery. Yeah. yeah. And because I, I want to point out too yeah, that she's please. not just, she's not chained to a stationary thing. Right. She's chained to a big metal wheel. Right. That she has to, she still has to do all the work. Right. That's right. And she, but she has to drag this incredibly heavy thing around mm. with her. Yeah. Um, you know, just getting back to the funniest moment in a minute, for a minute, for me, the most inter- amusing um, character in a way is is it Ben the guy who re- drives the truck yeah the truck right. he's always talking about the freight industry yeah right 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 <laughs> with his little truck yeah right. <laughs> yeah right we gotta right. be careful in the freight industry that's right, right. That's, a good, that's a good point okay if you could only watch one scene it's definitely the moral debate between Grace and yeah. the big man, in yeah. my opinion, which is endlessly rewatchable and quotable. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, you know, kind of a, a masterpiece of writing. I mean, there, there's a lot of really good lines in there and a lot of lots to reflect on. Okay. And then best performance. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. I think Bettany is really good. I remember yeah. when I saw this movie, I was like, this guy, Paul Bettany, is going to become the next superstar. <laughs> well, he's had a good career. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't think he ever quite became the superstar mm-hmm. that he seemed to be getting mm-hmm. some, some good performances he's quite good James Conn's good but I think it's ultimately Nicole Kidman yeah um, I was looking through this I don't know if you know this but I was interested in this so I think as Bill Simmons would put it this is Nicole Kidman's apex mountain oh. this is her like peak yeah. so Eyes Wide Shut 1999 Stanley okay. Kubrick's last film then the hours for which she won an Academy yeah. Award, and then Cold Mountain—that's in 2002. And then Cold Mountain in 2003, mm-hmm. and then Dogville. Okay. So she was, you know, on, out, on a heater, yeah. as, as you will, yeah. uh, if you will. And then, you know, of course, yeah, I think nowadays she's still obviously revered as an important actress, but this was her peak. I don't know. I mean, those AMC trailers <laughs> yeah, are pretty right. peak. She's become a goddess God. because of that, right? <laughs> those, yeah, I don't know why. Okay, yeah. You like those little AMC ads? I hate yeah, them, yeah, right. but I just I find I find it very funny because it's like almost liturgical. It's like you know. Oh, it is. You know, I right? think about Augustine's critique of drama every time. I'm like, yeah. this is where your heroes are real, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I'm like, oh, right, we should not be in this theater. <laughs> this is sinful. <laughs> right. Okay, ultimate takeaway. So I think. I think it comes from, I mean, I, you know, not, not that we're always quoting the Bible and our ultimate takeaways that you kind of did. And I, yeah. I think I am going to do it here as well. I think it's Romans twelve nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. This is in the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says mm-hmm. the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Von Trier intended to convey something to that effect. Yeah. And I think it's a powerful takeaway from a movie that, is disturbing but worth reflecting on definitely but and i my final take on it if anybody's curious is it's like our town meets the shirley jackson story the lottery <laughs> right, that's right <laughs> right okay good well all right so that wraps up uh this episode uh, we will come back soon enough whenever you get back from one of your right additional adventures i don't know what that will be but uh we'll come back with uh, number 15 but uh until then hope everybody enjoys and uh, go check out these movies and uh, take care